If you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to take a reading from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, if you're finding that, whether that's on a Bible with pages like mine or your iPhone or your iPad, let me just give you a little bit of context. Jesus is preaching a sermon that we sometimes refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a massive piece of work. It's Jesus really explaining to us what the kingdom of God looks like. He's bringing this kingdom. He's redefining this kingdom. And he wants people to really understand what the kingdom of God looks like. Not in a sort of a out there sense, but what the kingdom looks like right now, right here in our everyday lives. And so he's inviting this vast audience that is listening to him to draw near and hear what the kingdom is about. And as we drop into our bit of this sermon, Jesus is showing us incredible practicality when it comes to the kingdom. We want to be people filled with the Word, and we want to be people filled with the Spirit, but we want that Word and Spirit to find application in the ordinary and in the everyday and in the routine and in the normal. And this is what Jesus does brilliantly in this part of his sermon. So verse 25, chapter 6, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes uh, the the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I was traveling a couple of weeks ago in the United Kingdom on my way to minister at a church service, and I turned on the early morning news radio program. And as I was listening, I was uh, engaged by uh, one of our local politicians who was talking about the sort of challenges that families and individuals were facing right now in our society. And as I was listening to him, I heard him use a phrase around about a dozen times. He referred to the cost of living emergency. Never heard that before. And it was was a narrative that now this man was bringing to the conversation. Twelve times or so he said, we are now living in the United Kingdom in a cost of living emergency. For many of us, we're just emerging out of a 
post-lockdown, if not post-pandemic world, and all the challenges that that brought. And then in the United Kingdom, we're facing some extra challenges around things like war in Europe. And so there's really stress and strain being put on individuals in their in their living conditions. So fuel is going up, food's going up in price, everything's going up in price, and there's a genuine concern that people will not be able to cope. And he used this phrase, the cost of living emergency. And, and it was like a narrative of fear, a narrative of anxiety was coming out of that conversation. And it, it was really challenging me in the car as I was driving. And I felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit. I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and remind me and say something to me, which I already knew, but he reminded me of. He said this, there is no cost of living emergency in the kingdom of God. Now that's a brilliant word to hear in a car, but what does that look like practically, right? So it's brilliant to have that. Yeah, there's no cost of, but I've still got to pay my rent. Okay, I've still got to pay my mortgage. I've still got to look after my family. I've still got to do all the things that I think I've got to do as both a follower of Jesus and as a good citizen of the United Kingdom and of Singapore. So what have I, what does that look like? Uh, and actually, as the Holy Spirit spoke to me in the car, I was reminded of these ancient words spoken by Jesus 21 centuries ago. Now, the danger is we listen to these words and they sound like fairy tale. They sound like parallel universe type stuff. Yeah, Jesus is living in the first century. What does he know about the 21st century? Jesus was God. What has he got to worry about? And the danger is that we can push back on what feel like sort of fairy tale type words. When Jesus says to us, do not worry. In fact, he says it three times. He commands us in verse 25, verse 31, and verse 34. He says, do not worry. Literally, do not take thought of. And you're going, yeah, right. It's okay for you in the first century to say to me in the 21st century, don't worry about these things, but these issues are dominating our world. One of the dangers is we listen to the words of Jesus telling us three times not to worry. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we can sort of dismiss this as not being possible. Now, I'm not saying you do that. I'm saying maybe other Christians do that. We dismiss the idea, yeah, yeah, I like the idea of not worrying. I like the idea of no anxiety. But is that really possible? Is that really doable in the 21st century world? Is it really possible when we're facing, I don't know what it's like here in Singapore, but certainly in the UK, a cost of living emergency, a narrative of fear. Can we drag these ancient first century words into the 21st century and can me and you right now dare to live these words? Are these words even possible? Now, of course, as a follower of Jesus, my answer to that is yes, but it's not a simple answer. It's not a simple process. Jesus is not simply saying to me and you, hey, don't worry, you'll be fine, chill out. Akuna matata. Okay, so he's not, he's not just saying that to me and you. He's not being frivolous about your challenges. He's not being frivolous about the, 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 the pressure that you are feeling internally and externally. In fact, he's forming a profoundly life-changing, transforming argument. And he's not just saying the answer to these challenges is just not to think about them and worry about them, but he's saying we need to literally reposition our world 
into a different position, which will allow us to think differently and potentially live beyond anxiety. Jesus says it's possible in the first century, and I believe it's still possible in the 21st century, but it will mean that you and I have to make a shift to somewhere quite profound. Now, I don't know if you noticed in verse 25 of our reading, Jesus starts here with the word, therefore. And in my Bible, there's a heading here, and it says, do not worry. The translators have inserted that. Jesus didn't put that heading in. The translators have inserted that to try and help me, but it's really unhelpful because what they've done by inserting a heading in my Bible, do not worry, at verse 25, is that they've split verse 25 from verse 24. And actually, the therefore at verse 25 is crucial to understand what Jesus said before this. So I was taught in Sunday school, whenever you see a therefore, ask what it's there for. It's a really cool little thought. Next time you're reading the Bible and you see a therefore, stop and go back to what you've just read because it's what you've just read that now produces the therefore. So we've got to go back to see what Jesus is saying here. And we go back to verse 19. Now let me read these verses to you because they're really powerful. Verse 19 is where really Jesus is starting his argument about anxiety. And here's what he says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of your body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What? Okay, let's keep going. Now, now no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and the NIV says money. A better translation would be mammon because he's not just referring to money there. He's referring to money and anything material in our world that we look to or need, okay? So mammon isn't just money. It's all things material in our world. Now, in order to get the therefore and what happens next in our passage, we've got to get an understanding of what Jesus means from verses 19 to 24. And Jesus has three fantastic little parts to his argument that we need to get. Because he's not just saying to me and you frivolously, hey, don't worry. He's not just, he's not just saying, ah, oh, chill out, it'll be fine. That would be frivolous. That would be unhelpful. That would be not empowering and inspiring. So Jesus is making an argument here that will lead us to the place where he can say, don't worry. Okay. So what does he say? Well, first of all, he talks about this idea of treasure. And here's what he says, really, really simple. He says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Now, intuitively, you know that. You know that without reading that in the Bible, without Jesus telling you that. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And in, in Jesus's world, the heart was the center of the being. Okay? So in other words, Jesus is saying, whatever your treasure is, that's where the center of your world sits. So if your treasure is in mammon, stuff, material things, that's where your heart sits. That's the center of your world. If the center of your world is God's stuff, is God, the kingdom of God, 
then that's the center of your world. Okay, so he begins the argument. Hold that thought. Then he goes into this idea about good eye and bad eye. I don't know if you've ever read that before and thought, what is he talking about? It doesn't seem to make sense. And when you read it on the surface, it doesn't seem to fit with the passage. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. What on earth does Jesus mean? For me and you in the 21st century, this is a hard idea because it has no cultural correlation whatsoever, certainly to anyone in the UK. This is a first century euphemism that everybody listening to Jesus would totally understand. Here's what the idea means. If you have a good eye, it's a euphemism for being a generous person. If you have a bad eye, it's a euphemism for being a stingy person. So if you say to your next door neighbor, he has a bad eye, it doesn't mean he, he can't see, it means he's tight-fisted, he's stingy, okay? If you said of your neighbor, a good eye means you're a generous person, and you know people with both bad eyes and good eyes in your world. Now, let's go back to Jesus' argument. He says this, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if your treasure is stuff, mammon, that's where your heart is, here's what he's saying you're more likely to have a bad eye. Because if your heart is centered on stuff, then you'll want to protect that stuff, build that stuff, keep that stuff, and stop people like me getting your stuff. <laughs> Are you with me? So when treasure, when earthly treasure, earthly stuff, mammon is your treasure and sits at the center, the more natural progression is bad eye living. Are you with me? Does that make sense to you? Jesus says, but if at the center of your world is a spiritual understanding, God is at the center of your world, the kingdom of God is at the center of the world, the trajectory is more likely to be good eye because you realize all the stuff you have, God gave it to you in the first place and you want to not only enjoy that stuff, but share that stuff. That's a big kingdom of God idea. That's what Jesus is saying. So if your eye's good, your body's full of health, if your eye's bad, your body's full of poison or sickness. Got that? Then he says the third part of the argument. He talks about masters. And he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will despise the one and be devoted to the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So he's saying this. Here's the argument. He's saying, you can't have two bosses. It's one or the other. You can't have two of these ideas sitting at the center. Only one of these ideas can be at the center of your world. So if at the center of your world is stuff, the natural trajectory is a bad eye because you're going to protect your stuff and keep your stuff. And what that ultimately means is stuff is your master. You with me? If, the, if God's at the center of your world, the kingdom of God's at the center of that world, the righteousness of that kingdom's at the center, you're more likely to be generous, have a good eye because you understand where it's come from. And that is a sign that not stuff is your master, but God is your master. It's really, really interesting that the only thing that Jesus sets up as a rival to God in his teaching is mammon. Nothing else gets rival status to God in the teaching of Jesus. Only Jesus uh, only mammon, in the words of Jesus, is the rival to God. Why? Because mammon is godlike. Mammon gives us godlike security. Mammon gives us godlike power. Mammon makes humans feel like God. Are you with me? Now, 
Let me just say this before you, before you run out on me. Let, let me just say this. Jesus was not saying it's wrong to have stuff. But what he was saying, it's wrong for the stuff to have you. Are you with me? Okay. He's not saying it's wrong to have earthly mammon. But he's saying, don't let the earthly mammon have you. Because if earthly mammon has you, the anxiety levels in your world will naturally go up. Because you'll be anxious about keeping that mammon, looking after that mammon, increasing that mammon, protecting that mammon, and stopping others getting that mammon. Your world will become about mammon. Now, when your world becomes about mammon, material things, anxiety levels go through the roof. In fact, it's virtually impossible not to be anxious. It's quiet, isn't it? If I ever, God is at the center of your world, mammon stuff's still important, money's still important, stuff's still important. Jesus is not denying that. It's just not your focus. And because it's not your focus, and God is your focus, you're not worrying about the stuff so much because God's got the stuff. So Jesus isn't just talking about anxiety per se. He's not just saying, don't be anxious. He's talking about anxiety specifically created by a focus on stuff. Okay? And that politician, his focus was on stuff. Cost of living emergency. We won't be able to afford our stuff. And therefore, anxiety levels go through the roof. Now, if our focus is on stuff, anxiety is an inevitable byproduct. If our focus, however, is on the kingdom of God, that gives us the opportunity, the possibility to break free from anxiety. And that's exactly what Jesus says. Right at the end of his comments, he says what? He gives us the cure to this cause of anxiety. And he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And listen, all the stuff will be given to you. Come on, it's a bargain. He's saying, listen, the pagans are running after all this stuff and it's killing them. And if you run after all this stuff like the pagans are, it'll kill you. Your life will be filled with anxiety. But if you have the courage to replace the stuff with the God of heaven and trust the God of heaven and put the God of heaven at the center of your world, not only will he give you his peace, but he'll give you the stuff. How cool is that? That's an amazing bargain. It's a sense in which Jesus is not just saying, don't worry. He's saying, you need to relocate the center of your devotions and your passions to something other than mammon. If you can shift your world away from the stuff, away from the obsession of stuff, and put your obsession onto God the Father, put your obsession onto the kingdom of God, then not only will he give you your, his peace, but he will also bless you with the stuff you need. Wow. I think that's pretty cool. When I was 19 years of age, I was in between my second and third year Bible college, and the Lord literally made this a revelation in my life that we've never moved away from. It's become a revelation we've lived by through good days and bad days, and blessed days, and days where it hasn't been so materially blessed. This has become a revelation to us. And I just passed my driving test. I was washing my dad's old second-hand car. My parents didn't have very much money. And my dad had this old beat-up second-hand car. It wasn't very cool. It wasn't very sexy. But it was now mine because I'd passed my test. So I'm driving my dad. I'm washing my dad's car. 
a guy pulls up behind me in a brand new sports car and a, one of my best friends in school jumps out. He's got an amazing job, such a brilliant job. He's just bought a brand new sports car that he's driving in and he's also bought at 19 his first house. Whoa, come on. And so we, he hugs me, he says hello to me, we have a chat, he gets back in his brand new sports car <laughs> and he drives up off the street. And as I watch him go up the street, and I'm not exaggerating this, my heart was filled with covetousness and jealousy. And I heard my thoughts say this, I, here I am serving Jesus, going to Bible school, and I haven't got two cents to rub together, and I'm a poor Bible student, and I've got nothing, and I'm washing this, this second-hand car. And the Lord spoke to me as clear as a bell. Now, I'm 55 years of age, and I've been a Christian since I was eight. And I think I've heard the voice of God about, about a dozen times in my life. I could almost count the voice of God moments on my two hands. Uh, and the Lord spoke to me, and I knew it was him because he spoke in an Irish accent. And the Lord said to me, the Lord said to me, if you will put me first and honor me with your whole life, I will take you to places you never dreamed of going and I will give you things you could never afford. Now that has literally happened. Now, of course, if you listen to that and you hear the ancient words of Jesus, it's exactly the same thing. Essentially, what the Holy Spirit put on my heart that day as a 19-year-old was this passage. He was saying, make God your obsession and God, your Father, will take care of all that you need. He will look after you. And in fact, He'll end up giving you things you didn't even know you wanted and didn't even know you needed. He will take care of you. Jesus is not forbidding us to have things, but he's urging us not to let the things to have us. And he's saying, if you can keep the things out of your heart and keep the Father in your heart, you have the ability by God's grace and mercy, by the power of this revelation, to live an anxiety free life, even in the 21st century. But you got to make the shift. It's not just about not worrying. It's not just about not thinking about your rent. It's not just about not thinking about your mortgage. It's about shifting the focus of your passion away from the things which are lovely to have, but must never become the obsession of our lives. Does that make sense to you? And therefore, Jesus says to us three times do not worry. Let's just look very, very quickly at this as I draw this to a close. He says in verse 25, therefore do not worry about your life, what you will drink, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more important than clothes? He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the punchline. Are you not much more valuable than they? Wow. Now we need to hear that word. Don and I live in a farming community, little village about nine miles outside our big town in our area. Only 450 people live in our little village and it's surrounded by farms. And uh, the birds in our community are fat. <laughs> Seriously, some of them can't even get off the ground, they're that fat. If you want to catch a bird, you don't even need a net. You don't even need to do anything stealth. You don't need to be a ninja. You just need to walk up to them and grab them. They just can't move. Bellies are dragging on the floor. They are fat birds. 
And when I hear from my local politician, cost of living emergency, here's what, here's what tries to happen. Fear comes to me. Anxiety comes to me. Worry comes to me. Will we be able to? Will we be able to afford? Will I be able to look after my family? Will we have enough? Will. And, and that narrative of fear comes. And when the narrative of fear comes, I walk out into my garden and I look at the fat birds. Big podgy birds. And I think if my father can feed that bird that doesn't build anything, doesn't go to work in the morning, doesn't have a savings account, has no investments, if my father can feed that fat bird, then he can feed me. Come on, he can feed us, he can take care of us. Now that sounds like a fairy tale, it sounds like a parallel universe, and it sort of is. It's the kingdom of God universe trying to break into our broken universe. And in our broken economics, that doesn't work. This doesn't make sense. But in Godnomics, this makes sense. Put God at the center and he can take care of you. Look at the second thing, verse 31. So do not worry, he says, what we shall eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear for the pagans run after all these things. But your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now listen to me carefully. Listen, everybody. We're almost done. Your father knows what you need. And here's the deal from the first century. Here's the deal from the words of Jesus. He knows what you need and he is committed to meeting your needs. Now listen, he's not committed to meeting your greeds. Different thing. He's committed to meeting your needs, not your wants. It's quiet. You still love me? All right, some of you do. Um, but he's committed to meeting our needs. And I've met over the years, 35 years of Christian ministry, I've had to deal with beautiful Christians disappointed with God because their father hasn't given them what they wanted when his promise is to give us what we need. It's Father's Day today. I have three kids, 29, 25, 21. They wouldn't have made it to adulthood if I'd have given them everything they wanted. They'd have died from a sugar overdose before they hit double digits for start. Are you with me? If I gave my kids every time we walked into a shop, I want, I want, I want. If I gave in to that, they'd be dead. Maturity, as a follower of Jesus, says this. He will give me what I need. If I happen to get what I want, that's a bonus. But he has committed to giving me what I... Now, some of you will agree with that and disagree with that. Pay your money, take your choice on this. But I have a confidence that everything I need, he will give me. Yes? Not necessarily everything I want. David said, I was young and now I am old and I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. Amen? You may not have steak, but you'll always have bread. Some of you said amen with enthusiasm on that and some not so much. All right. Could we not have steak as well? Well, sometimes. But you'll always have bread. Come on now. Come on now. That's the maturity of us leaning into the Lord. Here's the last idea and I'm done. Time is gone. Jesus says this, verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day will have enough trouble of its own. Earlier on, he says this. He says, who by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Here's what Jesus is saying. 
When treasure is at the center, when mammon is at the center, you'll have a bad eye because you'll try to protect the mammon that you yourself have created and because that becomes your master. When that happens, your anxiety levels go through the roof and you will worry not only about today, you will worry about tomorrow, even though tomorrow hasn't happened yet. But when the Father is at the center of your world, you are more likely to have a good eye and be generous with those things because He is your master. And when He is your master and He is your Father, you come to an understanding that He's not only got today, but He's got tomorrow. Now, I don't want to offend you. Don't be offended by this, but it is a challenge. When I worry about stuff, I am saying to my Father, you cannot meet my needs. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest gifts you could give your heavenly father today is your trust. To say to your heavenly father, you've got this. Fat birds, you've got this. You can take care of me, you've got this. My name is inscribed on the palm of your hand, you've got this. And he's got you and he wants to hold you. And he wants to say to you, make me your obsession. He's not asking us to ignore the challenges around us. No, not at all. Not be frivolous or stupid or imprudent. None of those. We've got to be sensible, wise, prudent, and do all the things that we should do in managing the resource within our hearts. But, but actually, he's saying, that's not enough. Make me your obsession when I'm your obsession, I'll take care of you. And all the things that pagans are running after and killing themselves to have, I'll give them to you if you seek me first in my kingdom. Will you stand with me? You've been so gracious in listening to me so well. Dads are desperate for their hot dogs. We're going to release you in a wee minute to have your hot dog. But I do want to pray for you. I've got faith in my heart. This is one of the areas where Don and I have proved the Lord over and over again. We, like Paul, we can say we have lived with plenty and we have been in want, but we've learned to be content. We've literally had moments where our cup has overflown uh, and it's been amazing. We've had moments where we're thinking, Lord, we need you to fill this cup. But in 35 years of ministry, we've never had to beg for bread. It's always been bread on the table. There's always been enough in the account. There's always been enough. Now, if there's faith in your heart, maybe the Lord has spoken to you as I've been speaking and you say, John, will you pray with me? Pray for me. I need some faith to trust the Father with my stuff. And you know that that has spoken to you, that right now, raise your hand quickly in this place. And I'm gonna pray a prayer of faith with you and for you that on this, a great Father's Day, our Heavenly Father will fill your heart with faith and revelation and truth. And that you will leave this place knowing He has you, knowing He has your family, knowing He has your needs in the palm of His hand. And if you make Him your obsession, He will take care of not only today, but he's already taken care of tomorrow. And you're not to worry about it. You're not to be anxious about it because he is already there. So Father, for my brothers and sisters right now with their hands in the air, 
You know their circumstances. You know the details. You know everything about their lives, the fears, the worries, the anxieties. And Lord, we declare over them there is no cost of living emergency in the kingdom of God. There is no cost of living emergency in heaven. There is no cost of living emergency in your presence, O Lord. There is no cost of living emergency in your hands and in your thinking. You are the Lord. You are the creator and the sustainer of the world. You are first and last. You are Aleph and Taw. You are Alpha and Omega. You are beginning and end. And you are the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine according to your power that is at work within us. So Lord, right now, I declare your word over every person with their hands in the air. I declare that faith will arise. I declare that peace will be your portion. I declare, Lord God, that something of your grace, mercy, goodness, and loving kindness will pursue and touch every person in this room. And that, Lord, each of us will go knowing that the God who feeds the fat birds will feed us that He will take care of us, watch over us, and keep us. So brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord lift His face upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord, the Maker of heaven and earth, the Saviour of the world, the Provider and the Sustainer of His people, who has our names written on the palm of His hands, may that Lord turn His face towards you and give you His shalom. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just listened to a production of Cornerstone Community Church. Please note that all unauthorized reproduction, distribution, or sale of the recording is prohibited. For permission to reproduce or distribute the sermon, please write into mail at cscc.org.sg. We hope that you have been blessed.